Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, hey, where you been? Buckeye talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome to Buckeye Talk. We're going to call this one Friday Fiasco. Nathan Baird, along with Doug Maurice from Cleveland.com, the usual Monday madness. But here through the offseason, we've just been sort of floating it around as we see fit. We're not talking a lot of basketball today. I know there's probably people who would love to hear what Doug has to say after the uh, first round loss. I guess it's technically second round loss for Ohio State basketball in the Big Ten tournament Thursday night. He and Steven are going to have a pod that drops Monday morning right after the NCAA selection show. But Doug, just your quick impressions of uh, how this March is playing out for the Buckeyes. Yeah. So like this did matter as much as Steven says, and I agree with a lot of what Steven says about like big 10 tournament doesn't matter. What's the big deal. They've gone in the last two and a half weeks, whatever it is losing before their last five from maybe a four seed, probably no worse than a five to, I think they're going to be an eight seed now. And in terms of like trying to make the sweet 16, which is what the goal for this program under Chris Holtman needed to be for this season. It went from a thing that seemed at least very possible to there's no way they're making <laughs> sweet 16. Even if they're seven, I don't think they're, they're ready to beat a two. So th- this, th- that's why that game mattered because it's going to affect their seeding. I think if they would have won, you know, if they beat Penn state and then go beat Purdue, I think they have a chance to like, be no worse than a six, maybe climb back up to a five. And instead I do think they will be an eight. So, and again, just the thing I said on the Monday pod, like it's not a fun team to watch. It's not, you don't have faith in this team. Steven pointed this out to our textures that he sent out Friday morning. I don't want to go too far with this, but like EJ Liddell is frustrated with this team. And it's one thing for the people watching to be frustrated and maybe not have faith in the team. It's another thing for the best player on the team to feel that way. And I, I, again, it's not like the team's coming apart at the seams, but that's real. And that's, I mean, it goes back to Chris Holtman. So sometimes I like, did you ever do this, Nathan? Like I do, I, I just put Holtman in the old Twitter search and see what comes up. And there is quite the uh, woo, hot and heavy discussion. He's not going anywhere right now. But if you're like defending, think about this, Nathan, is, kept saying two pros, two pros, two pros. You need two pros to have a chance to compete in the NCAA tournament. They have two pros and they lost to Penn state. 
I know they didn't have Kyle Young. I know they didn't have Zed Key. I know Justice Suing's been out the whole year. They have two pros, and they lost to Penn State. Penn State doesn't have two guys who could play in Cyprus. I mean, it's they have two guys who are projected as first-round picks next year. Bad. It's bad, and it points to the coach. Yeah, I agree with Steven and anyone else who says that in a vacuum, the Big Ten tournament doesn't matter. I thought last night's Big Ten tournament game mattered for Ohio State just in terms of playing well. You just kind of had to get something going, and that that didn't happen. I, I only got to watch really the second half of that game, but it was the telling part of that game from an Ohio State standpoint. And just and just how, how disconnected this team seems sometimes on both sides of the ball um, I don't know how you solve that sort of overnight. And you could tell, I watched the post-game um, interviews, which I haven't had a chance to do, obviously, much this year. And um, the, the body language, I thought, was telling. This is just, a, I don't think this team really knows what to do to get out of this funk right now. We were, I was watching it with my daughter, who's a smart basketball, smart sports fan. And Ohio State, whatever it was, was up eight with 15 minutes left. And she was just like, it feels like they're going to lose, doesn't it? I was like, yeah, it does. Like, they're ahead, but, like, they're just missing some shots they probably should make. They're giving up some offensive rebounds. There wasn't anything glaring, but it just they were just sort of making too many losing plays. And it was like, oh, no, this is this is Ohio State basketball. That's their identity. Making just... Too many losing plays when it matters and not being able to get stops down the stretch because they don't play defense in any kind of connected way. So anyway, Steven is our basketball expert. Yep. We're going to dive all in on this on Monday. There's enough football to talk about, but you know, we don't want to wallow in this too much because before we know it, selection Sunday is going to be here. The stuff that's going to matter. Can they win? Can they win in round two? All that kind of stuff. That's what we'll dive in. Steven and I will record it Sunday night. So you guys have it hot and fresh Monday morning when you wake up. So plan on that for the next Buckeye Talk. We are going to talk mostly football today and really football the rest of the time. Well, except till the end. We'll, we'll save some nonsense for you at the end. We're going to talk in the second segment, which is where we usually talk about sort of a big picture thing in sports. We're going to get into Harry Miller and the end of his Ohio State career. But hopefully, you know, the beginning of of healing for him now that he is is medically retiring uh to uh, address his, you know, his mental health concerns and also hopefully, you know, the beginning of maybe um, him using his story to, to help other people in, in a similar situation. But as we talked about on the Thursday pod, we're going to start with the running backs. We talked on Thursday morning with wide receivers and running backs. We went really in depth on Thursday's pod with what we heard from the receivers and what that told us about this spring and how this fall might play out. And now we're going to get into the running backs. Um, Trevin Henderson was obviously the one that, that we already talked about this a little bit that drew some attention on Thursday, but just because of what he said about having played through a, a concussion last year and then the way he walked that back. And since we've already talked about it, I don't know how much we want to belabor it, but I, as you've reflected on that in the last 24 hours, any, any second thoughts about that, this it, I don't think it's, it's one of those situations where I think the kid was, just, the guy was just trying to be honest and um, try, tried to verbalize what he had gone through. I don't, and I don't know where I sit on whether I feel like he misspoke and then corrected it correctly later, or 
um, if there was something um, more lax going on. And I, I only I think it's worth bringing up to have the conversation only because we're a year removed from Ohio State basketball having a situation with uh, Cal Young that we were critical of and I thought played out in a in, in a visible way. And I'm not trying to um, assert that Ohio State has like some sort of widespread problem addressing this because I think there are gray areas when it comes to concussions. But um, I thought they I thought some of maybe the heat that came out yesterday, um, the discussion does need to be brought up. And I'm sure we don't get to talk to Ryan Day again until a week from Tuesday. But I'd like to hear what his explanation of that whole situation is. So we do think, right, that what we're probably talking about is Trevion taking a hit during a game and then not playing the rest of that game. And as we said, we think it's the Indiana game. And right. we, you saw in that game, they took his helmet. That's the sign of a guy right. who is potentially dealing, that they're checking into a concussion thing when they take your helmet. Like, you can't play without your helmet. We're going to hide right. your helmet from you. Yeah, that, that's so, common practice. People remember in the Big Ten Championship game in 2020, when we looked down and we're like, wait, why is Mayan Williams in the game? And we're like, well, wait, oh, Master Teague doesn't have his helmet, so he's done. Like, we knew right. it in within minutes. So I would say two things are at play here that may – sound naive or homerific but do i generally trust the college football industrial complex to always do the right thing when it comes to the health and welfare and safety of college football players no i do not i do not trust the college football complex at large you can't you there's no reason to there's no reason to assume that college football teams with coaches who want to win games and programs that want to make money and conferences that want TV deals and an NCAA that as, as an organization has either abdicated or mucked up every important thing it's done in the last generation. There's no reason to trust the adults in charge holistically. There's none. The players have to look out for themselves and it's up to us and their families and anybody else. I mean, this is the role that journalists should play. You have to question this stuff to try to make sure that the brains and bodies of the 18 to 22 year olds are being looked out for. Do I believe that Ohio state flaunts safety and health and welfare rules has a disregard for the brains and bodies of the 18 and 22 year olds doesn't do what you're supposed to do with concussion checks, throws guys back in games when they think they have concussions. No, I don't think Ohio State does that. I don't think we have proof of that. I've had too many times over the years where we have talked to players who it's like, hey, why are you out? And and they, again, some of the stuff when they don't want to talk about injuries, it muddies it up. But a lot of times when guys sort of just are gone, a lot of times it is concussion stuff. And there are times when guys just don't play for a couple of weeks. And it's like, oh, did they, they have a high ankle sprain? Do they have a knee or a shoulder? It's like, no. Well, it's like, what do you think they have? They're dealing with concussion issues. Garrett Wilson so, last year at Nebraska didn't play because of concussion symptoms. So if they were a little more clear on that, it would clarify things. But I, I guess that's, this is what they choose to do. I was going to say, I get it. I don't exactly get it. I just I think hiding, hiding injury information um, can often create more problems than it avoids. However, 
I don't think Ohio State as a program, and I don't think Ryan Day as a head coach, and I don't think this medical and this training staff abdicates its responsibility. I don't believe that they would say, hey, I wonder if Trayvon Henderson has a concussion. Oh, well, put him back in there. So, like, I'm not on red alert about this thing. So the thing in the end of Travion had a game where he had something, he came out, he didn't play the rest of that game. The idea that then they checked him, I'm sure they checked him that week. I'm sure they checked him. But could he have been dealing with lingering things but still somehow passed a test or whatever? That seems like a gray area that you pass a test, but you still have things or whatever. Like I, Again, we have not talked to doctors about this specific instance, but I don't feel like there's reason to view this as blatant disregard, but it's worth double checking on. And it's worth, it's always worth double checking on their procedures, but there's just been too many years where good players that they could use kind of like don't play in a game. It's like, Oh, okay. Well, seems like they're following the rules here. I mean, it's like, I think a lot of this, this is, I mean, this is decade, you know, years old of when I, Last time I really, really, really dug into a concussion story, but everybody takes like a baseline test at the beginning of the year, right? I think it's like a baseline concussion thing. And then after, if, you, if they think you have one, then you have some things you have to go through. They compare it to the baseline. They check, are you having symptoms like not being able to handle bright lights and memory and that kind of stuff? They, they know what they're doing here. So I, I don't think Ohio State disregards people with concussion symptoms. I don't. So that's not where I am with this Trayvon Henderson story, but we'll talk, we'll ask Ryan Day about it next time we have a chance. And there, again, like I said, there are some gray areas here because Trayvon Henderson said, yes, I reported these symptoms. I passed a test. Now, when he says later that he was playing through kind of the, I think he called them maybe side effects or playing through those same symptoms later, was he forthcoming about that part of it? Like, I don't know. There were, there were some of these things just happen in a stream of consciousness way. And uh, I think people tried to follow up the best they could, but I do think Ryan day needs, to, it needs to be brought to him is to, to, to bring his side of the story to it as well. I will say a lot of times coaches will tell you, I don't have any, I don't have any say in that. The, the, the good coaches, that's what they say. They'll just tell you the doctors handle it. If the doctors tell me he's okay to play and the kids, the player says he's okay to play, then he plays, but I'm not going to go in and make a medical decision because I'm not a doctor. I think that's what a, the good coaches say and not to jump too far. Cause we're going to, we'll get to Harry Miller in a little bit, but I always feel like we need to have like, like if we were a radio show, we'd have like a little button that we push for like when we're going to say something really homerish. Um, as much as I feel like this is something Ryan day does have to address I would put him on the short list of coaches that I would expect to handle this the right way because he is so committed to mental health. And there is such a direct connection between head injuries and mental health in football. That's obvious and demonstrated and it's affecting the sport. It's why the sport is played the way it is in some ways now. And I don't think he would be oblivious to that. Um, and and would would certainly would would jeopardize uh, someone with a future as bright as as Trevon Henderson too. He needs Trevon Henderson this year uh, as much or more than he needed him at any point last year. So, I I I do think though that I want to hear their side of the story. I think Ohio State should provide some additional clarity as to 
how these scenarios unfold. And I think sometimes where they do hurt themselves is this, this cone of absolute silence because it asks us sometimes to pretend that this isn't a really violent sport and guys get hurt every week. And I think there needs to be a more sophisticated way to talk about it from the Ohio state perspective to us to explain these things. I think you can do it without sacrificing um, inside information and and setting a guy up to be targeted or whatever. I think there's a, a better way that they can approach it. And maybe this episode will help them learn it. This would probably be a good time for Ohio state. Again, they, they're always loath to speak specifically about the health of any player. And I get it. But to have a general thing, again, we should do this, whether it's just with us, where they have a news conference about it. What happens when a player gets a concussion? A player gets hit in a game, comes to the sidelines. Somebody with the medical staff makes a conclusion. This guy's having concussion symptoms. We're taking his helmet. What happens from that moment? to that guy getting back on the field. What are the steps generally, not specifically? It would probably be a good refresher for us, for everybody, for the listeners, for the fans. You guys should care about this stuff. I think it's fair to have some level of expectation that fans who love a football program care about the brains and bodies of the 18 to 22-year-olds. I think that's a I, – I don't think as a fan you get to brush that off. And I'm, I, I think the people listening do care. I think they do. We're not going to talk about it five days a week. We're here to have fun and talk about sports. But this is, this is on the high list of things that matter. So I think a general refresher on Ohio State's procedures with that would be great. And sometimes I do think Ryan Day is, and, and Christina uh, Day are, uh, are uh, it's not Christina. What's Ryan Day's wife's name? Nina. Nina Day. Ryan and Nina Day are dedicated to mental health, especially among young people. And it's a very admirable thing. It is clearly their cause and they are, they are real about it. It's not lip service. I do wish sometimes they would draw a little more of a connection between concussions and CTE and the football aspect of that mental health, Nathan, because I think they are talking often more about, hey, any teenager, young adult, just the realities of the world and the social media world and the pressures of the world, all these things, the mental health of the awareness of mental health. Let's always, let's make sure everybody like that has the help that they need. But there is a specific part of this sport that leads to it. Now, again, some of that stuff happens later in life after you're gone, but there's, you can't avoid that direct connection. So, you know, we're, we're not at all saying that like, that's an issue with Harry Miller right now, but I'm saying like for Ryan day to say, Hey, we take concussion protocol very seriously at Ohio State because we understand this is a mental health issue. That I think would be a good reminder because it's not just you got hurt and when can you be back. High ankle sprain is not a mental health issue. A knee ligament is not a mental health issue. A concussion is a brain bruise. It can be a mental health issue, right? It's not that if you have one concussion, it doesn't mean you're going to have mental health issues. You're going to have CTE, but the accumulation, we all know that we all, I think by this point around football, have at least a basic understanding of the possible dangers of that. So every day, I think that would be a good thing for Ryan day, potentially in this to say, Hey, yeah, we take it seriously because we care about any player. And we realize that it can be a mental health issue at some point as well. And, and it will come up. So I think we should table the rest of this discussion until then, because, um, uh... I think we will talk about it again at that point. By the way, it is 
her full name is Christina Day. She goes by Nina. It's like a, her nickname. So you were right on, got, on both accounts. I got, I don't know what happened, but I was like, oh, Christina M. Johnson, Christina Day. I mean, I've talked to Nina before. The, the Days are a lovely family. I, sorry, but yes. Okay. I got it kind of wrong, kind of right. Buckeye talk. The, but the, um, some of the foundation stuff that they have done, it's like the Ryan and Christina Day Foundation for mental health stuff. So that's where they use her proper name for that. But if you see her on the street or hanging out at a game, uh, you probably just call her Nina. Um, but let's talk about what Trevian Henderson actually said about football. And going back through the interview, I thought there were some, and it's not that Trevion Henderson was ever not a confident guy, but you try to kind of get a vibe from guys as spring is going on. And maybe especially for guys who are coming out of the first year into the second year, guys who are coming off of a big role, much is expected of these guys. Just some of the sound bites that you can get out of Trevion Henderson day. This one jumped out right at me. This is, I think a direct quote. Everybody knows I'm tough. And he wasn't just saying guys on my team. He's, he was, I think he followed up by saying like, you can go ask the guys on the other team. Like everybody knows I'm tough. I know we're, we're coming right out of a conversation with him playing through injury. That's not necessarily what he was talking about. It was more about kind of how he was playing on the field and a big point of emphasis, a big conversation topic. We heard it from Kevin Wilson on Tuesday. Trevin Henderson talked about it. Evan Pryor talked about it. It was this idea of um, Kevin Wilson talked about, I think he called it running through trash. Even Trevin Henderson, he was asked, I think about, you know, why you approach running certain ways and that he was hearing criticism he thought at times last year about why he didn't cut outside and take uh, a hole that was out there and going into this explanation about well but there's no blocking out there my actual hole really the way the play is supposed to go is if I if I plow through this tough yard here now there's blocking now that can really open me up Uh, there was a lot of this talk about these younger running backs kind of figuring out the sophistication of how to get that one tough yard that actually gets you the big plays as opposed to chasing the big plays. And I'm curious, um, intrigued how that is going to, to play out this season because that that is more textbook football. And Aaron Pryor, well, we'll get to him in a minute, but he specifically talked about, I got to take that three-yard run that's tough instead of going outside and taking a five-yard loss. So I remember when I talked to Tony Alford, I can't, God, I can't remember anything. Whatever the game was where uh, Trevion Henderson had the false start in the red zone where he kind of like was leaning forward. Was it Penn State? Might have been Penn State. The play before that, Trevion Henderson had the ball and he didn't score. And in talking to Tony, to Tony Alford after that game, Tony Alford kind of thought maybe Trevion Henderson could have scored on that. If you just fight through a little bit more, make maybe a little bit better read. And then he thought Trevion in wanting to make up for that on the next snap, got a little bit too excited and got his weight going forward and tilted forward and had a false start. So this conversation about it's the thing that Kevin Wilson was talking about the other days, take nickels, they add up to dollars. The thing that I have in my head, Nathan, is you look at Jake, uh, excuse me, you look at Trevion Henderson, 6.8 yards per carry as a freshman. J.K. Dobbins in his career, 7.2 yards per carry as a freshman. And then, as we know, in 2018, J.K. Dobbins, now, in part because they tried a two-running back system with Mike Weber and J.K. Dobbins, and the idea of they're rotating backs and you want to hit a big play so you can stay in the game, that got in his head a little bit. But J.K. Dobbins, the whole story of J.K. Dobbins' career, as everybody on this podcast listening knows, is in year two, he wasn't as good because he tried to hit too many home runs. 
He averaged 4.6 yards per carry in 2018. Now, also, this was the RPO, quick passing, Dwayne Haskins, Terry McLaurin, Paris Campbell, K.J. Hill, passing offense. The offensive line wasn't used to RPOs. They didn't block it up as well. A lot of things went in the run game, went into the run game, not being as successful in 2018. But then J.K. Dobbins came back as a junior in 2019, 6.7 yards per carry. So J.K. Dobbins in his career, yards per carry, 7.2, 4.6, 6.7. It feels like to me, one of the things, Nathan, is like they're really emphasizing nickels, 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 nickels. Turn three into five, turn three into five, turn three into five. We do not want running backs hunting for home runs. And I think not that they're, but like we have a little bit of proof. Like sometimes I'm like, okay, I get it. Aren't you trying to get every yard you can on every carry? What do we, but they have a little bit of recent proof of an excellent running back who had kind of a goofy year. And in the end, when he came back as a junior, that's what J.K. Dobbins said. He was in his own head. He was trying to do too much. He wasn't taking the extra yards that were there. And the result was he was significantly less effective. And then, you know, I think they, they changed the offense a little bit and he worked better with Justin Fields. When you have a quarterback who's a little bit of a zone three threat, but listen, CJ Stroud's not going to be that. So they're going to have to call the right plays. They're going to have to block it up. Right. But the idea that early in spring, there is a huge emphasis on the running backs, running tough, taking what's there, not thinking about home runs. That's a little bit to me of them wanting to avoid what happens, what happened to JK Dobbins in 2018. I, th- I think that's a, a great observation. One of the other things that Henderson said, this is also a direct quote, and it's kind of an awkward one, but I know what he's saying. He said, I think I've got one of the best visions in college football, which not only relates to what we were just talking about, because that's where you get to use your vision. To me, it's, 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 you're taking, you know, you followed a tough route. That's what the play called for. And now what's in front of you? How do you best follow a block? You don't, I don't need a running back with great vision when there's nothing in front of him, but how do you, you know, follow your blockers? How do you see a play develop and take the best route? But also to me, it spoke to that in the previous comment and some other things he said, I thought we're just speaking to, there's a lot on this guy's shoulders this year. I think there's a lot expected as good as CJ Stroud is, as good as Jackson Smith and Jigba is, I think a lot is expected of Trevor Henderson. People are like, okay, you got your thousand yards as a freshman and you average such and such, whatever you said per carry. And you clearly have this explosiveness. And that was when you were having trouble, you know, not missing series or staying in a game or playing into the second half. What are you going to do when you're like fully unleashed as a, a sophomore? And instead of right now, at least being like feeling the weight of that, he's kind of saying, I got this. Like he's, it seems like he's pumping himself up. He's talking himself up in some ways, not really any, I, I don't get that. He's like bragging on himself. I think he's just, it's almost like he's trying to communicate. Like he, he just, there's a sense of calm about how much is expected and how he expects to just go do it. And um, you know, whatever, he's going to have to then actually go do it. But Again, still a good sign, I think, that uh, confidence seems to be a theme that's coming up a lot just because there are so many young guys who are expected or, or um, challenged to do big, big things for this team to be a national championship contender. But sort of so far, like each one is saying things that should probably resonate um, well with fans, that they're, they're ready for that moment. I like how Trevion handles his business. I do like the confidence. I think he strikes the right balance between 
confidence, but not cockiness. He does. He's not a guy who doubts himself very much. And again, the story of like, ah, I just kind of just became a running back and then high school. And I was, you know, I had been playing linebacker and then all of a sudden I was good at this and yeah, I can do this. I think there's a lot of things you can point to to say, Hey man, you ran for 1200 yards as a freshman after you didn't play high school football, your senior year, right. As a true freshman working in, there's a lot out there for him and he doesn't have to worry. He doesn't have to look over his shoulder at all. Mayan Williams and Evan Pryor are not coming for his job the way that JK Dobbins was looking over his shoulder a little bit. And he's back with, with the same quarterback for year two, as much as um, we talk about CJ Stroud and Jackson Smith and the Jigba together for year two, JK Dobbins, the transition. I mean, you think about JK Dobbins career, JT Barrett, Dwayne Haskins, Justin Fields. Those are the three quarterbacks he played with. Holy yeah. moly. Yeah. Is that a <laughs> way different style of dudes? And J.K. Dobbins, J.T. was so good at the zone read. J.K. really had a thing with J.T. And then with Dwayne, it was really different. And then Justin, it was kind of in between. You know, they've got this figured out. C.J. is not much of a run threat, but they have a good idea of how they want to use these guys, how they want to use C.J. and how they want to use Travion. And I do think one of the things, athletic guards make the world go round. Brown signed their two starting guards, Joel Batonio and Wyatt Teller, to huge deals. I think... Not that like so Thayer Munford's not the most athletic guy in the world. He's a really good football player, really good football player. And Paris Johnson is super athletic. He just happens to be a tackle, not a guard. He was playing guard last year. I think it's possible that Trevion Henderson's new best friend is going to be Donovan Jackson. Yep. Yep. And if Kevin Wilson is comparing Donovan Jackson to he's as athletic as any offensive lineman he's seen short of Trent Williams. And Donovan Jackson is going to take one of those starting right guard spots, which he definitely is going to do and start pulling and start blowing people up and making holes. And I think uh, Trevion Henderson on the Donovan Jackson superhighway, as much as we talked about the Josh Myers, Wyatt Davis superhighway, Donovan Jackson might be making a highway all by himself. I'm very curious to see what happens with the interior offensive line. I think there's a lot of reasons to have faith in the interior offensive line for Ohio state. And that means Trayvon Henderson's going to have some lanes in which to run. I think we also shouldn't discount. And again, putting the five best offensive linemen up there possible is the most important thing. And maybe Ohio state was able to do that with the switches they did last year, but I wouldn't discount the idea that the offensive line that Trevin Henderson is running behind right now with the ones Barring injury, like I said before, violent, brutal sport. They're going to happen at some position. But barring injury, the ones he's taking reps behind right now are the same ones he might be taking reps behind the starting line in the Big Ten Championship game. And that's time for that to sort of gel together. Even though you've got some guys moving around, you know, Donovan Jackson moving up and Paris Johnson moving over, I, that seems to me like enough time to maybe get some cohesion in the run game and, and get that figured out. Uh, Evan Pryor, someone who uh, drew a lot of attention because didn't have a huge role as a freshman, um, only played in four games, I think. It, it was able to, to, you know, to do the redshirt year. Um, but someone that we want to know, do you, does he think he can advance? And can he jump up and contend with someone like Mayan Williams to get backup snaps to maybe even be the second guy on this depth chart? And I wanted to start here because I know it's the thing that you love talking about the most, and that's uh, dietary changes. Mm. Because if there's nothing that Doug Lee Reese likes talking about more than football players talking about uh, their food. And Evan Pryor said he he's added, 
I don't know, like eight, nine pounds somewhere in there. Um, but he did it, uh, not by having to go eat more. It was, it was, you know, he, it, he said, I think I just asked him for you. Um, so like, what did you change? Thank and you. he said, like, you would respect this. Go find the video because the look on his face when he says, oh, I, ha- I, ha- I had to cut out canes. Like just you can see his heart breaking as he oh. says it. And then, and then, and, and uh, then he said he also had to change his uh, Chick-fil-A order to uh, just getting like grilled chicken and just drinking water instead of, I guess, sweet tea, probably. And you just the disgust in his voice as he was saying it, but sacrificing for what he hopes is a bigger payoff at the end. I think I have an NIL deal for Canes, which sometimes people think Canes is so omnipresent in Ohio. And especially because there's a Canes that you could practically walk to from the Woody Hayes Athletic Center. And people think, oh, it's from Louisiana, right? Canes is everywhere. But there clearly is a big presence in Ohio. Commercials, Nathan. Ohio State football fans eat canes because the players can't like on behalf. And you have like this whole thing where like you're a fan, you're sitting down with like your six strips and your fries and your coleslaw. And then the camera pans over and like Evan Pryor is sitting next to the person in the booth, just staring at the food. And it's like, it's admitting it's like, Hey, if you're a fine, if your body is a finely tuned machine and you're a football player, maybe you can't eat this. Most of us aren't that. So if you're not that, on behalf of them, they play football for you. You eat canes for them. I don't know who it is. Mr. Kane, give us a call. The script writes itself. It's a Jeremy Kane who runs the, the Kane uh, Corporation. No, it, it's like it's like war bonds or something, right? Like, you know, take one. You, know, you, you do your part at home or in the drive through line, Blaine, so Ohio State can win football on Saturday. I think, you know what? It's a terrible idea, but I think it would work. I yeah, they would, I think they would do a really brisk business with that slogan. What I don't know if you got to listen to any of the Evan prior stuff, anything that that jumped out at you from things he was saying. I did not go back and listen to that when I was at Evan prior for the last couple of minutes. And I did think I think there's some comparisons between him and Jaden Ballard. That mm-hmm. is just a guy as we talked, you know, guys are just on different tracks. And if you just got the idea of like, Year one for Evan Pryor and Jaden Ballard was really about like, holy moly, okay, all right, I got to get some stuff in order before I have any chance to try to help this team on the field. And Travion Henderson, Marvin Harrison Jr., Emeka Buka, maybe they're just a couple steps ahead, which is fine, which is fine. The thing is, Jaden Ballard just has a few more guys ahead of him. Like, there's more opportunity here for Evan Pryor, but it did feel like another guy, sort of Nathan Wright, didn't you think? Like, just getting his ducks in a row. Yeah. Okay. I'm, I, I put on the weight. I'm going to be a little more physical. I'm going to be able to get through games. And so whatever happened with Evan Pryor in year one is no indication. Now it's like, oh, if you thought, well, I mean, last year, Mayan Williams was clearly ahead of Evan Pryor. It's like, yes, yes, he was. But I don't think that would be necessarily the case now because it feels like Evan Pryor this spring is getting himself ready to compete. Well, you do learn so much from that first season, I think. And here's an example of it. The reason he changed his diet wasn't just to gain weight. It was there was a, an overall like better physical place that he wanted to be in. And he was talking about last year against IU. He ran the ball like 14 times, like his biggest workload of the year. And he said the next day 
his body was just like destroyed. And Tony Alford said to him, like, well, yeah, like you need to like get yourself right, like physically. You're like, you're not there yet. You're a freshman. You're like 18 years old. You're you're you know not that rem- far removed from from doing this in, in at the high school level. So he talked about how last year you would get into, he would get into, cer- certainly not you or I, would get into the like later periods of a practice and just really be dragging, like just, and, and you're, you're not performing at your best. You're, you're slumping through things. And then now he can already feel it. Like he's getting late in the day and he's finishing strong. And just something as small as that, I think is an important thing for an athlete. And that's where, again, it's a different confidence. that starts to build. Like when you don't feel like you're behind, cause I'm sure he was getting to late in some of those practices and not everybody on the field's dragging. And you're wondering like, what's wrong with me. And again, you're just, you're 18. Now you're a year older and you're in a better position to go out and do the things that a big 10 running back has to do. And it's a reminder of, Hey, why didn't Trevion Henderson run for a hundred yards at all in the last few games? And it's like, Hey man, the other super talented freshman running back for Ohio state last year was having trouble getting through practice. Trevion Henderson, if you only had 89 yards in a big 10 game, Hey, like they, Back to what Ryan Day said a million times last year, and we've talked about a lot this offseason. They were young, and they have a lot of guys who did stuff last year who are back to do the same thing this year, and they're just going to be better. I still – did you come away, Nathan? And I think, again, I get why there are fans, there are listeners, there are Buckeye Talk Tech subscribers who like Mayan Williams, who liked Master Teague, right, who were driving the bus for some of those guys. Um, I didn't – Nothing that Evan Pryor said changed my mind from the idea of, I think this guy might be Ohio State's number two running back this year. That he's just, he's a talented dude who's gotten himself in in order. And when it comes down to it, as long as he has ball security and, you know, he can pass protect and that kind of thing, which is not a given, right? I mean, those are like, ask Tony Alford, where do you start with running backs? It's like ball security one, pass protection two. And then it's like, hey, great you found the hole and made a cut in the hole that's down the list, even though that's the thing that I, you know, fans and people like us would put first on the list. I just think Evan Pryor is going to play this year. I think so. I think there's some role for him. He is certainly now as opposed to what Trevin Henderson was saying, where we've already seen him do it. So it sounds different coming out of his mouth, but, but Evan Pryor is sort of uh, talking about himself in those same confident ways. And as much as he was saying what he did about, I got to get three instead of losing five. He's, he also said, like, I, I'm a home run hitter. Like, that's still a quote that he's got. Like, he thinks he's a big play. He's a playmaker and can go out there and and make the, the same kind of huge runs that, that Trevon Henderson did. Not not comparing himself to Henderson. I'm putting those words in his mouth, I suppose. But, um, you know, saying that he can do whatever any of the other running backs can do and can do whatever a receiver needs to do. Like, it's a guy who is really confident in the things that he can do athletically. But for him, it's you get in the danger of like, you know, writing a check your butt can't cash yet. Um, he's just one of those guys. And there are a handful of them that there's every reason to believe that he'll do it. Once he gets on the field, he just has to get on the field. We just haven't seen him in a, a like ones against ones capacity. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. Mine Williams. I didn't, I did not get to get to why mine Williams's table. So I don't um, know a lot there. Mine Williams doesn't say a lot either. So, <laughs> I didn't feel like I necessarily missed a lot. Oh, 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 you know, no, no criticism of mine necessarily. He's just a, a 
keeps him keeps the sentences short and sweet. No, I didn't listen to him either. I'm assuming Mayan Williams is kind of on the Master Teague path of. I think Mayan Williams is a solid number two running back in the Big Ten, but there might be somebody here who's going to pass him. But I think Tony Alford trusts him. But I'm not so sure. I, I don't feel about. I don't feel like the running back room is necessarily about Mayan Williams. He's not going to catch Trayvon Henderson. And I think whether or not he holds off Evan Pryor is much more about Evan Pryor than it is about Mayan Williams. I think we know what Mayan Williams is, but if we think we're living in a world where CJ Stroud's not going to be much involved in the run game and they do want to run the ball 40 times a game, that's 12 carries for somebody. So is it Mayan or is it Evan? I don't know, but I think it's a matter of whether Evan takes it or not, not whether, Mayan can hold on to it. Yeah. I, I think Mayan Williams is for all the fans who heard what we were saying about Master Teague being kind of like a, a perfectly good backup, but we're still kind of like, yeah, but and wanted a little more wiggle, wanted whatever. That's what I think Mayan Williams is. He's maybe a, a, a version of that that appeases, a, you know, certain fans uh, to some extent. But I think you're right that um, if it's sort of like a, a microcosm of what you had last year. Whether Trevian Henderson started or not was going to be based on Trevian Henderson. It wasn't really going to be based on what Master Teague and Mayan Williams did. Those are the only three scholarship running backs in camp right now. Dallin Hayden will be here in the summer. And Marcus Crowley is still coming back from injury. So it's a pretty thin group that is going to mean a lot of reps, though. And that, that's probably a good thing, especially for Evan Pryor. You'll get a lot more snaps than maybe you normally would in uh, coming out of your uh, your into your second spring. That's the running backs. We're going to come back from this break. We are going to talk uh, more about the the Harry Miller situation and uh, what he revealed yesterday, and um, just I think maybe the lessons in in that for all of us. You're listening to Buckeye Talk. We're back on Buckeye Talk. Our, our big picture conversation today is, is going to focus on Harry Miller. Like I said, uh, the offensive lineman who was a starter on the, the 2020 National Championship runner-up team was supposed to start last year. And then a combination of injuries. And then as he revealed yesterday, a, a mental health issue, that uh, a battle, however you want to say it, that he had been struggling with for a long time, as many people do. Um, just... Ended up a lost year for him, and it, it apparently wasn't progressing to the point that he uh, wanted to play football anymore. And he's he decided to step away from the game. And it was a I hope everybody had a chance to read his statement. I sent it out to our tech subscribers because I had put it the, the the entire text of it in the story that we wrote. And um, if you if not, you probably saw it on Twitter. And uh, it's very. Um, I mean, how would you, I mean, it's, it's sobering. It's, it's disturbing at times. It's very vivid. He, he doesn't really hold back about um, mentally and physically. Some of the things he, he went through um, and it was hard not to read that and just be sort of overwhelmed with empathy for what this guy was going through that in a lot of ways really had nothing to do with football. And it probably, I, and I don't, I don't necessarily um, feel bad about this, but the more that we kept asking, hey, where's Harry Miller? That, that probably didn't help him a lot. It's just sort of 
one of the unfortunate byproducts of being a, a public figure um, at a young age. I, but it, it was hard not to, it, it was a tough read. I guess that's maybe the best way to say it. And I, I hope um, this process does help him um, fulfill uh, what should be a, you know, a great life in the long run. So I think we need to say, I mean, not everybody read it, Nathan. We need to say in the statement, he said he told Ryan Day before last season he was going to kill himself. And then Ryan Day got him in touch with the yep. mental health experts to help him. And Harry Miller said that those doctors were very important to him and helped him a lot. And But he also still made some references in his post that indicated that he, he may have still maybe had suicidal thoughts. So it's super serious and it's about Harry and some of the stuff, I mean, he, I think he started off the statement with something like, you know, something about that. He doesn't have any privacy because of his standing as a football player. And like on, on that point, it's like, that's, I mean, that's what it is. I I don't know what to do about that. Like that is you, you choose to put yourself in this situation. It is a high pressure situation. It comes with great opportunity and great chances for lots of praise and attention in a good way. And it comes with the equal amount of opportunity for uh, people to say nasty things about you and talk about you in a negative way. And that's just the deal. And that's what it is. If there's a player on the football team that's not around, we're going to ask where he is because people care about these guys because they play football. Now, it doesn't mean we only care about them as football players, but it's the relationship of why we care about them to begin with. So I just always with these things, we're never going to apologize for caring about them as football players because that's the start. I hope it for all of us, we care about the mental health of every 18 year old to 22 year old, whether they play football or not. I hope we care about the mental health of everybody out there. So I, I am sure. And I think we've gotten text messages about this. Ohio state football fans are behind Harry Miller. I hope Harry Miller is feeling that support. People are not saying, oh, how could you do this to our team? You're not going to play football. People are behind Harry Miller. Please be behind other people dealing with mental health issues just as much, even if they don't play Ohio State football. If it's somebody at your office, if it's a kid in your child's school, if it's somebody at your church, if it's somebody walking down the street, there are people dealing with mental health. We have come a long way with this kind of thing. But I do think sometimes, sometimes and people are going to react negatively to this, but we say like, Oh, all the, all that we care about is what, how they are as people, right? As long who cares about the football part? I'm just worried about Harry Miller as a person. Well, the relationship started between you and Harry Miller because he played football. So it's okay to wonder, can you play football? That's why we know who you are. Otherwise, you're just a teenager from Georgia. But of course, we care about that teenager from Georgia who's had difficult things in his life, who clearly is a very smart, thoughtful young man. We absolutely care about him. Please care about everybody else. Please care about everybody else. And there are lots of kids, man. There are lots of kids going through stuff. And sometimes I think we as a society can be very dismissive and if it's, hey, it's a football player and it's hard, it's a lot of pressure and there's like a thousand percent, that is absolutely true. You don't have to play football for Ohio State to feel pressure in your life. There's kids, man. 
please be aware. And this is why Ryan Day and Christina Day, their, their foundation is not mental health for football players. It's mental health, especially for young people. Mm-hmm. So please be, thank you to everybody who's been thoughtful and supportive of Harry Miller. Please be as thoughtful and supportive to other young people who are dealing with things. Maybe things that you think, why, well, why would that be a thing that you should be worried about? Well, I think that's weird. I don't think you, let's be supportive of young people dealing with stuff. So not surprised from the football standpoint, we had said this thing before we, you could, something wasn't, this was beyond Harry yep. Miller's body. This was beyond whatever the injury was. Something was keeping him off the field. And I will say this, and I know I'm talking a lot here. I wrote a story a couple of years ago. Taekwon Lewis had a very tight relationship with Larry Johnson. Taekwon needed Larry Johnson in his life. Larry Johnson had sort of at times thought about, even at, from coming from Penn State, like, oh, how long am I going to do this? Whatever. But I love the players. And the relationship that Taekwon Lewis and Larry Johnson had the story I wrote was it felt like, I think, to Larry Johnson, and I think to Taekwon Lewis's family, it's like, why is Larry Johnson here? Why is Larry Johnson doing this? He's here because of Taekwon Lewis. He is the exact person that Taekwon Lewis needed in his life at that moment. And that's the kind of thing that makes Larry Johnson say, that's why I'm doing this. I'm not going anywhere. Because the next Taekwon, sometimes you just have a player. And a player, they need a coach to tell them, teach them hand fighting and technique stuff. But sometimes you have a guy who needs more than that. So that Larry Johnson, Taekwon Lewis relationship, I think was very special. And to me, it was one of those things. Sometimes people are put in your life for a very specific reason. The idea that Ryan Day is a coach who is very out front, who has had incredibly difficult things in his own life. We all know that Ryan Day's father took his own life, that that is why mental health is so important to Ryan Day, that that's where Harry Miller was, that when Harry Miller went in and told his head coach X or felt comfortable. Who am I going to turn to? I'm going to tell my head football coach, I'm considering taking my life. I don't want to put words in Harry Miller's mouth. And I don't want to make this about Ryan day. Cause it's about Harry Miller. Stuff like that makes me think, man, maybe Ryan day was in Harry Miller's life for a reason. Maybe Harry Miller was here for a reason. That was the right person. Not that he wouldn't have had support from his family and his friends or his teammates, wherever he would have gone. But this was a real life example of what Ryan and Christina Day do with their foundation in a, in a general way. This is Ryan Day sitting in his office and, and a, one of his players coming in and saying this. I think, I think Ryan Day was in Harry Miller's life for a reason. And we're glad that Harry Miller got the help he needed and best of luck. Listen, man, he's the guy. I really love talking to this guy. Plays the guitar, loves Shakespeare, goes on missions to Costa Rica. This guy has a full life. So he'll be okay without football but he needs support and I'm glad he's getting it. Nicaragua actually, I think is, is where right. he's gone Nicaragua, on the, yes. the, the missions. Very he's done, important. Like multiple yeah. to the same place, like a connection there. No, he's been there like a dozen times. Yeah. He's got a, he and uh, Paris Johnson had recently hooked up on a thing where um, Paris Johnson was helping get donations to send beds to Nicaragua and um, has just he, a guy who was uh, as much as he clearly had this maybe conflicted relationship with his identity as a football player what has also been using that identity for very positive things even before he got to Ohio State and I, I think that's probably going to continue he made you know he ended his statement by putting out the 800 number for the um, National Suicide Prevention Lifeline 
and uh, I should have that in front of me so I could pass it along. It's definitely one that I've I passed along to the texters. What they were responding to us, though, like as you said, you know, the support that he's received. I, I, I should have maybe gone back and compiled them. I didn't ask these people for permission to use, but a lot of you who are listening responded to us by saying I mean, just numerous examples of, especially for those of you who um, you know served in the armed forces saying, oh man, I had guys I served with who, um, and, you know, a bunch of them that dealt with this and one of them didn't make it. And, you know, I have, um, you know, a, a family member who has, had, has, you know, I lost to this or has struggled with this. And it's something that um, it, it just resonates with people. And there was, you know, just very recently a, um, a, a soccer player from uh, Stanford who was, you know, a national championship goalie uh, soccer player who uh, committed suicide. That was a real shock to that community and, and that, that family that I don't think they saw that uh, coming and it's um, obviously um, a tragedy there, but, but, but Harry Miller is the one who gets to make that statement he made yesterday and kind of walk away from football in his own terms. And as he said, you know, he's like a 4.0 student in engineering and gets and is, and is doing the things that matter in, uh, in Nicaragua and other places that um, are more important even than that. So uh, um just, I don't know, I'm, I'm, I'm rambling a little bit. It's just, you want to wish him all the best. Um, and I think you put it the best that he, he, his, his value is not limited to the football he played at Ohio state. And I think hopefully he gets a chance now to, to go prove that. Yeah. Harry Miller will be okay without football and Ohio state football will be okay without Harry Miller. And that's good. And, but I'm glad, I think Ohio state football will continue to support Harry Miller as long as he's at Ohio state and beyond that. And he'll always be part of it. And you saw all his teammates coming out and supporting him, Paris Johnson Jr. and Thayer Munford and Taraji Mitchell, a ton of guys coming out and supporting that. So the idea that we can talk about this stuff, that guys can be public about that when they want to be is great. And I'll say I saw one of the people that I saw retweet Harry Miller on Thursday was Billy Price who is a guy that I, Harry Miller and Billy Price always sort of reminded me of each other. And I had a long sit down with Billy Price late in his career at Ohio state about how much, how difficult it was for him during his first year as a starter, as a redshirt freshman during Ohio state's national championship season. He felt like people were coming after him on social media when he didn't have a good game and that kind of thing. And he really struggled with that. I'm not saying that he had anything at all similar to Harry Miller, but in terms of the pressure of college football, of like the, some of the negativity that can come around it, Billy Price retweeted Harry Miller, and that's real. And, but that I don't know what to do about because it's fun to talk about sports. People care about their teams. I hope people have a little bit of perspective, at least, about 18 to 20 or 22-year-olds at college as opposed to millionaire pro athletes. But like, we're not going to stop talking about football and saying, hey, maybe that guy could have played better. Hey, maybe this guy should start instead of him. Hey, that guy missed a block. That's going to be true. And I just would hope that I think the small part, the worst people, you know, again, so I think someone, an offensive line coach, a personal coach, I think that Harry Miller worked with, retweeted Harry's statement and added in, like, you wouldn't believe some of the things that people sent in DMs to these guys. Listen, I mean, people are awful. Don't be that. I mean, like, I can't even imagine what that is. Like the thing, how can you be like that? But I can look at a million things on social media and be like, oh my God, how could anyone ever do that? So if you're making personal attacks on college football players because they missed a block, I mean, I don't, you're a terrible person. I mean, you're an awful yeah. human being. 
Full stop. So, yeah. <laughs> so that's, but like the general discussion, like we have, the answer is support within the program, them being able to talk about it. And then a lot of players saying like, Hey, you don't know what guys are going through. Keep that in mind with your criticism. We're going to talk about football. And again, it's, it's the great part of it. And it's the tough part of it because when you make a game winning catch, we talk about that and not a lot of people get to experience that either. So we are, everyone is aware of how high profile, high profile, I think I was going to say high pressure, high profile, something like Ohio state football is there's good. There's bad. Don't make it personal. Don't go after guys personally on social media, but we're not going to stop being critical of performance on the field. So the best thing for that is support. Talk about it publicly Understand it's not to the end of the world, but this is part of the deal too. But before I forget that number, 1-800-273-8255 for anyone who might need it, anyone who knows someone who might need it. I, I, I think it's just you, you, I think coaches are trying to better prepare their players for this reality, but they've also been complaining about it in their own way for a while. And I understand where they're coming from. Um, the, um, just the, the, the pressure that's there. I mean, they're obviously putting pressure on these guys because they're, that's part of what they're supposed to do. Like it's, they're supposed to push these players to be the best version of themselves. But when it's the, the personal attacks is, is where it's different. I know that there's been some other avenues lately where athletes have sort of complained about being treated like a commodity. And my thought on that has always been like, well, no, you as a person are not a commodity. But your athletic performance absolutely is a commodity. It, it, if you're, especially at the professional level, and even to some extent at the college level, it's why you're there in the first place. As you were saying, it's why the relationship starts with the fans, and it's why they come there is to to perform on the football field. So I think there's got to be a way to. I think we do it. I think we always try to provide the context, even when we're talking about. Harry Miller struggling a little bit at times back in that 2020 season, it was always like, but means a second year guy. Look at all these other second year guys. that didn't even put in that position who are great offensive linemen. Look at what that means for what he's probably going to be. Um, and I think there's got to be a way to um, mix that context in when you're um, hair trigger, making some uh, attacks on social media or um, whatever, anything else you want to add on, on this topic? I think we've already, we've already talked about the football implications of it on Tuesday, because as you said, the, the, what he released on Thursday was, was certainly shocking in the depth of it, but we could also sort of tell something beyond football was maybe in that mix and that maybe Harry Miller wasn't going to be a, a big factor for this season. Yeah, no, it just feels like Donovan Jackson, Matthew Jones, and Luke Whipler will be the interior of Ohio state's offensive line and Ohio state will be okay. And best of luck to Harry Miller with whatever he pursues. And I, I do think the Ohio State football community will continue to support him in whatever avenue that is. Back to wrap things up with what you watch and what you eating here on Buckeye Talk. Doug, what you eating? So I'm eating parsnip fries. You ever eat parsnip fries? Love parsnips. We eat parsnips a lot in the, the fall and the winter. So my wife signed up for one of these things where I, I don't know what it is, but it's like a box of farm food appears on your doorstep. Yeah. Is it's it like imperfect, like, imperfect produce or yeah. 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 We like love, fa- we used to get that in Indy. Yeah. 
like farm rejects. It's like, I always signed up for this thing. It's like they pick up all the fruit, that, all the vegetables from the farm that nobody, that they can't sell in a store. And we get it delivered to a house. And I was like, what? That's good. What do we, like we're taking third-hand parsnips? So I will say the thing, so my wife, my wife is a very, very, very healthy eater. She's trying to get me to be a healthier eater. But a parsnip is a root vegetable, like a potato, right? But I think it's, for whatever reason, better for you. So she yeah. cuts them up into fries and then we put them in the air fryer. And if you take, I don't know, you take any root vegetable and you put it in an air fryer and you fry it long enough until yeah. it's crispy <laughs> yeah. and you put, you put ketchup on it, it tastes good. Yeah. The thing that is a little disturbing, when you see a bag of parsnips just lying around, I will say it doesn't necessarily look like a bag of root vegetables. And it's like, what are those things on the table? Those long white things on the table. It's a little disturbing to have parsnips around your house, but you air fry them and you're good to go. So I was all excited about my wife made a whole big thing of parsnips fries for herself from the, for dinner the other night. And I was like, well, can I have some parsnip fries? <laughs> and then she's like, okay, I'll make you some parsnips. And then she made some for me and they were lovely. And then I, but I was so full, I couldn't eat them all. But it's one of those things. French fries, just death sticks. There's nothing good about a French fry. You can talk yourself into, oh, it's a potato, it's a vegetable. It's really just a starch, whatever. But parsnips are better. So if you want to dip crunchy air fried things in ketchup, make it parsnips instead of potatoes. We have also done uh, mashed parsnips, which, you know, they have, they, it's a different taste than, than potatoes. It's a little, it's an earthier taste than potatoes, I would say, but you're adding butter and, and cream and whatever else and salt and pepper, whatever. And it starts to taste pretty good too. Uh, and we used to love the imperfect produce box. Um, it's not really, I, I want people to understand, like, it's not like cheaper necessarily. It's kind of like more about a sustainability thing, but it also just forces you to eat vegetables. Cause like this box shows up and you're like, well, we got to do something with these. And then once in a while, it's like, you'd get like gold, you get like, wait, there's like a thing of Brussels sprouts in here and you just like get really excited and or at least we would for Brussels sprouts. I'm going to go love Brussels sprouts. Brussels sprouts are great. I'm on, I'm on board with that. You a little oh. bit of bacon on them. Yeah. Oh, we eat Brussels sprouts probably once a week, at least like we love Brussels sprouts. It's, it's the vegetable we probably cook the most. Um, I'm going in the opposite direction though. You're, you're Mr. Healthy today. So yesterday in between interviews and when we recorded the Thursday podcast, I came home and we noticed a puddle over by our fridge. And at first, my wife was like, well, did the dog pee? Which he's a couple years old now. He doesn't really do that inside. And then we realized there was a leak. We pulled the fridge out and it was spraying like a, like a, like a clown with a bottle of seltzer just all over our wall and ceiling. There was a pinhole in, a, in the water line. And that's we'd already fixed the water line once with this. Uh, so shut it off. Had to go back, do the pod, do some other work, went to go make the repairs. The Harry Miller stuff happens. I'm sitting in a Lowe's parking lot writing this Harry Miller story um, and finally get back home. And then over a series, the better part of like five hours fixing this plumbing issue. And eventually we did fix it. But in the middle of that, we'd been working on it for a while and I don't know how to describe this downstairs. You have to like basically reconnect 
a line to the water line and we couldn't get the water shut off completely. So like water's like spraying me in the face as I'm trying to do this. It was getting frustrating. And at one point my wife said, listen, we're not going to get this done under these circumstances. It's like 830 at this point. We're hungry. Let's take a break. Let's go get dinner and we'll come back and, f- and hopefully finish this. So I asked her what she felt like eating. She was like, oh, let's get some chicken tenders. We don't really have a Cane's next to us, but I mentioned this place before. It's Happy's Pizza. And people have told me maybe Happy's Pizza isn't that good. But the chicken tenders at Happy's Pizza, I think, are maybe the best I've had at just like a commercial place. And we ordered uh, two pounds of chicken tenders and cheese fries. And it comes in just this suitcase full of chicken, basically, like this giant box of chicken tenders and cheese fries with like boom, boom sauce. And it was awesome. And we have a bunch of leftovers. And I was supposed to say, I think it gave us the strength, the mental strength and physical strength, because we immediately went right back downstairs and like bing, bang, boom. It, mostly also thanks to my wife figuring out a, like a crucial strategic uh, approach to it. We fixed it. We now have water back in our fridge. There's no more leak. And uh, we did it without having to call a plumber, which we were excited about. It was a, I, but I'm, I'm, I'm crediting her mostly. She actually did a lot to like figure it out, but also the suitcase full of chicken. That sounds like a great Happy's Pizza commercial. It's like you, there's I, Nathan Baird with water spraying you in the face. And it's like, we can't do this. We can't do this. Let's get some chicken and regroup. And then like the chicken has magical powers. And then you fix the water line. That's a great commercial for those guys. I, I tell you, I, I have never had the pizza there. Last time I brought up Happy's, somebody responded to me and was like, hey, don't, uh, don't do that. I'm not going to vow. I'm not going to say one way or the other, but I will uh, I will die on the hill that the chicken fingers, chicken tenders are tremendous. And we're looking forward to popping them in the same air fryer that you kind of air fryer that you make your your parsnip fries with. And uh, they're going to be real tasty. So happy pizza, chicken tenders. What you watching? So I've I was watching I think an episode of it this week, but have you? I don't think we talked about. It. Have you watched this Pen Fifteen show? Lo- love Pen Fifteen. Pen Fifteen so is a is a blast. So if people don't watch it. It's adults. These two women who write and star in the show. They're adults, and it's about their adventures as middle schoolers. But they play themselves as middle schoolers. So it's kind of this farcical kind of thing of they are in middle school, and everybody else in middle school are actors of middle school age and they're like 30 and they're in middle school. But I will say they're so convincing as the actors that I forget they're not 14 and they're both 30, which is quite an acting accomplishment. And one of the actresses in particular, I was watching another movie the other week where it's like Amy Poehler and Maya Rudolph and all these uh, funny women of that vein, the Saturday Night Live crew, they go to Napa Valley to hang out and then one of the women from pen 15 was sort of like the attractive waitress who was at the thing and she looked like an adult woman and i was like wait it's it's an amazing transformation so my daughter is going off to college next year to major in screenwriting and she would like to do those kind of things my daughter wrote a play that she is currently directing at her high school, a full-length two-act play that will be put on at the end of March. Oh. Uh, she's a great writer. 
So she and I watched this together. So we're particularly interested in the idea of, hey, you can like write your own comedy show. Maybe you could star in it. Here they are. So these two young women, I can't remember their names. Uh, I, I think their names are Maya and Anna in real life, as well as being the characters on the show. Maya Erskine? Yeah. I think is her name. And I can't remember the other one's name. So it's just great. I, it's one of those things. I always admire the creativity, the um, the idea of like, hey, like I want to be an actor. It's like, well, what are you going to do? It's like, well, I'll just write my own thing and then star in it, cast myself in it. I will say, and I'm going to go on a little tangent here. One of my best friends, my college roommate is a Hollywood guy. And uh, he and his writing partner, who also is was in college with us, They've been very successful. They've written a lot of stuff. They're, they're writers for TV shows. He's been, uh, he's been on in shows and he's written for a lot of things. They wrote a pilot several years ago that they thought they'd filmed the pilot for a network and they really thought it was going to get picked up. And then like, for whatever reason, it last second kind of got pulled out from under them, but they wrote it and they started it and they started in their own show. And it was just like they were on the cusp of being like just like these pen 15 women. So I always think that my friend's super talented. But I, my alternate life, like it's my daughter's going to go be a screenwriter. My alternate life is like, hey, I just write and talk about sports is like being there and doing that kind of thing. So I admire that creativity. So they're high, they're middle schoolers, they're adults acting as middle schoolers. And it's uh, incredibly entertaining. So I would direct anyone to pen 15. I'm, I, they only do it, I think, two seasons of it and we're like working our way through the second season uh, yeah. right now i think it's over but it's really fun and, but they we're, also do serious stuff too they do yeah this and in fact this season i think there's been more of that that where they have like more just like an entire episode that it's not that it isn't funny but it isn't quite as comedy driven yeah. um but my my wife we watch it together and it's funny how many times because it, again it's it's driven by like the teenage girl experience and they'll do these things that are like so like nonsensical and crazy to me but she'll be like oh like you have no idea like that's exactly like this this show is exactly how teenage girls think when you know like 13 14 year old girls and the, the way they respond to things um it to me it's like it's a female version of like like seth rogan and evan goldberg i think is his name who have mm, done a yeah. bunch of films um, and projects and uh, like so it'd be like it'd be like if they had started super bad themselves instead of hiring actors to go do it it's right. sort of so is it, i i just recommend it i think it's a fun show um i'm trying to remember what i was going to bring up oh so I, one thing i've gotten into recently is um i haven't been out to see many movies lately i've been but there are some youtube clips that i keep going back to from films that i love and I wanted to shout one out today because I was thinking the other day, like if I had to, if there was someone who said like, I love movies, but I literally have no time to watch movies. I wish there was a movie that was only as long as a scene and it gave you everything you needed to know about that movie. And it was just one scene that was just brilliant in every way. And I have that movie. If you're looking for it, uh, it's called margin call. It came out. I think about like five or six years ago, it's about a like day. It's a fictionalized day in the life of an investment bank. The day that the mortgage crisis is like coming to a head and they have discovered it. They discovered it first. It's basically it's a story of an analyst who is doing this coding or like going through the stuff and he realizes that um, 
the bad mortgage uh, debt that they've been keeping on their books, uh, it's headed the wrong way. And once it gets there, basically this giant, like think Lehman Brothers, think um, Bear Stearns, whatever, these ma- this massive bank is going to just collapse and be worth nothing. And there's an g- amazing scene in this film. Uh, Jeremy Irons plays like the head of the company. He gets called in. It's got uh, Kevin Spacey, who, you know, is obviously about the last thing he did before the slide started for him. But but Demi Moore's in this scene, several other people you would recognize. And uh, Paul Bettany is in the movie. And it's this, um, this, this phenomenal scene where Jeremy Irons comes in and he's like, OK, I've heard there's a problem. What's the problem? And it's like the problem being detailed to him and how they're going to solve it. But just every note of this scene, it's probably less than 10 minutes, I think, is perfect. Like the every every word that's written, every acting decision, I think, that happens in there, um, just the way it's directed. If you ever wanted to just, I, I've never seen a mo- movie, entire film that could be brought down into one scene. And and because that scene tells you everything almost that you need to know about the movie. It tells you what has happened and what will happen. But it's it's done in such a compelling way. Um, I, I I recommend the whole movie. But if you're ever just looking like, oh, what's like a ten minutes I could spend on YouTube that would like knock me on my butt, I recommend that scene from Margin Call. Do you ever get Jeremy Irons and Liam Neeson confused? No. But they both are tall and they look like both look like a praying mantis, right? But one is like uh, like a snooty guy and the other guy is like punches people in the neck. Yeah, that's the thing. Like from a from there's I mean, I know they're both British. Or I guess Liam Neeson is probably is he Irish? I don't Scottish? Know. Something. Um, but no, I don't I don't confuse them at all. Okay then. I do. <laughs> Liam Neeson is 69. He was born in Ireland. And Jeremy Irons, uh, not to like I don't want to like talk about all the stuff I watched, but did you watch uh, you ever watch The Watchmen? That series? I'm familiar with it, but no, I didn't I didn't see it. Jeremy Irons is in that. And he's kind of, he's from, uh, so Jeremy Irons is 73. He's from England. And uh, Liam Neeson is 69. He's from Northern Ireland. Liam Neeson is like, so Liam Neeson kind of got catapulted into um, fame through Schindler's List, which is obviously a very like somber, you know, prestige kind of important film. And he did another one after that called Michael Collins, which is sort of like the, I think it's kind of like the Irish Braveheart in some ways, or like it's set later. It's more modern than that, but it's kind of like, um, but then now literally every movie he does is just him punching guys. <laughs> he became yeah, like guys. an action film, a geriatric action star, which we haven't had. Like, I guess sort of like Charles Bronson was that at one point or like Clint Eastwood veered that, but then he came back and now he does only like prestige yeah. Oscar-y things. But like literally every movie that, that Liam Neeson does now is just like somebody got kidnapped and now but I'm going to go see- punch him. You don't want to see Jeremy Irons punch anybody? I wouldn't mind seeing Jeremy Irons punch. Does he punch anybody in margin call? Does he come in and no, say, he's, he's his a housing he's prices is a... all ridiculous. Bang, and punch a guy right in the neck. No, he not he doesn't physically punch anyone. I think he he um like maybe like mentally punches the entire like financial uh industry with, with what happens in that scene. But um no, very, very just different personas as as actors. I've always thought. The Liam Neeson thing, the Taken films by the third one. Why is any woman associating with Liam Neeson at that point? His character, like you're gonna get abducted. 
like you're, <laughs> you're just a magnet for abduction. Like at some point, like, are, isn't he part of the problem? Yeah, that like be like, yeah, aren't you the guy who everyone around you gets abducted? No, no, that's Jeremy Irons. That's not me. <laughs> <laughs> and on that, thanks for joining us on this Friday fiasco episode of Buckeye Talk. Monday morning, Doug, Steven breaking down the NCA selection show and the trajectory Ohio State's been on and what that's going to mean for them heading into the tournament. For Doug Lee Maurice, I'm Nathan Baird. That was Buckeye Talk. Buckeye Talk.